0: So, let me, there's two types of people in the room, two types of people, or two types of people watching online. There's the, there's the planner, organizer, you're gonna dot the I's, cross the T's, you're, you're, the, you're the on-time person. And then there's the... Um, there's, we'll just call them the free spirit. You're just, you know, let's just see what happens. I don't know. Let's not make, let's not make a bunch of plans. They kind of get in the way. Um, and, and those are the two types of people. Now, real quick, just a real quick survey. How many are the type A, let's um, dot the I's, cross the T's, figure it out. Okay, yeah, 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 that's good, that's good. Um, and, and then how, peop, how many people are the free spirits? free spirit. Okay, that's awesome. Now, the people that raise their hand with the type A, they're more likely to struggle with like stress and anxiety. And the people that raise their hand and they're the free spirit, they're probably high, like right now. And so, and that's just how it is. But listen, we're glad you're at church at least. So, and typically, am, am, I, am I right here? That, that the free spirit and the type A person marry each other, which is one of the reasons that they survive, is because they couldn't survive without each other. Now, saying all that to say this um, when it comes to message prep and message planning, I'm, a ve- I'm very type A, and I'm very organized in this area of my life. When I'm saying that, I've got concepts that I feel like we're going to be covering laid out all the way through December, like ideas and concepts. Now, they can change, but I've got concepts and ideas, and so, so I've got a flow. And we've been, we've been working with Gideon for a few weeks. In fact, we've been working him pretty hard. And so uh, this week, or a couple weeks ago, God started messing with me a little bit about this particular week. And I'm gonna be honest with you, I don't like it when he does that because I've got my plan. And you know how it is, when God's plans interferes with your plans, you probably get a little upset too. And so I had this plan, I had this message all laid out, and, but God just kept messing with me. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna give Gideon a break, let him go get some Gatorade because we wore him out the past few weeks. And then next week, we're gonna pick it back up. You don't want to miss next week. I don't care if you've been reading the Bible your whole life. We're gonna teach you something next week about getting you've never seen in the text. I'm so excited about it, but let me get back to this message. So so God started, oh, the reason I'm type A is is because I take this seriously and, and I consider it an honor to be able to preach God's word. I consider it an honor to be able to teach you. And so when you... Choose to like show up or you choose to tune in i don 't want to waste your time. I want to make sure that i 'm teaching the Word of God appropriately, so there's a lot of prayer, a lot of study goes into this and so when God threw me a curveball um, it it messed me up, but then it slowly but surely this thing just came together and i'm i 'm going to preach the message and tell you how it came together at the same time i 've never done a message like this, so i 'm kind of excited um, so I'll start off the message by saying this. I love America. I really do. I love our country. I don't know if you're um, supposed to say that. I don't know if you get canceled for saying that today. If you can get canceled, that's fine. I really do love our country. Um, I don't think we're, we're necessarily better than anybody else, but, but you know what? I, they, I've traveled the world and I've never been like, I need to stay here. I've always wanted to get back to America. And it blows my mind the number of people that say they hate America, but they stay in America and won't leave. I'm like, if you hate America so much, there are one-way tickets to everywhere in the world, right? And, and just side note, if I hate something, I just leave. So quit and get behind, get a job, that's the best thing. But I, I love our country, but I don't think our country is necessarily headed in the right direction. I, I, think, we're not, I think we're not on the best path. However, I'm not a pessimist and I'm not a doom and gloom guy and I'm not gonna preach Sodom and Gomorrah and the wrath of God. I am seeing something right now as a pastor that I've never seen in church world in over 30 years. I'm seeing what, I'm, what I think, what I really do think is gonna be the beginning of, you can call it an awakening, you can call it a revival, you can call it anything you want, but I see something stirring um, among the people of God and, and me personally, I, I'm, I'm all up for it starting right here. And I'm, because like, why not us? And why not now, has been my question. So I've been asking God to do that among us, like to stir our hearts for him, because this awakening or this the revival, that I'm gonna tell you, it is coming. I wanna be a part of it, because I think, I think there's one thing, there's one thing that we can do in the body of Christ that will change everything, not just in our country, but in our world, one thing, and I promise you, I'll get to it by the end of the message. So, with that in mind, um, I asked this week on, on social media, and got some fascinating responses. How many of you believe in conspiracy theories? And uh, and it was like some of the ones that y'all responded back to me with, I'd never heard. I'd never heard a mattress firm conspiracy theory <laughs> that they're laundering money through mattress firm, but. It does make sense, because have you ever seen anybody in a mattress firm? So I was like, okay, maybe, I don't know. Um, Bigfoot. Uh, the, the number of people, the number of y'all that believe in UFOs, I just feel so sorry. They are not UFOs. They do not exist. Um, they're not real. All the pictures are fuzzy. And this is, my, somebody said, well, the gov- a government official said, pause. When's the last time they told the truth about anything? If, if I... No, I don't believe more because they're saying it's true. I mean, I was like, there's my proof right there. The government said it's true. It's not happening. So I was, I kind of dug deep in these conspiracy theories, but let me tell you what really started me down this trail. About two or three weeks ago, I was listening to a podcast and it was about um, Malaysian Flight 370. Some of you might remember this, some of you don't. 2014, Malaysian Flight 370 took off and... Nobody knows what happened to it. Now, I've met people, I know what happened to that plane. Dude, you couldn't even find Malaysia on a map. You don't, you, don't, you think it's near Belton. You don't, you don't even know where it is, all right? But I got, I got, have you ever been listening to something before you know it, you are just, you're just invested? And so I started listening to this podcast about what could have happened to this plane. And this expert um, came on, they were interviewing this expert, and he kept going back to one of the most important things in a plane crash is what the pilot said, and this phrase got me right before the plane went off the radar. He said, you gotta pay attention to what the pilot said right before he went off the radar. And then about 10 minutes later, another expert came on the podcast that wasn't there before, and he said, what, what the pilot says right before the plane goes off the radar, it's almost like they synced up. So that thought was in my head. So conspiracy theories, pilot, Ralph, and then so the next day, I'm in my office, I got a little office upstairs, um, and and got a little desk, and and that's where I do my Bible study. The next day in my office, I'm I'm, I'm flipping through my Bible, looking for some stuff, and I came across this page in my Bible. Now, this is a picture out of my Bible um, that I use for personal Bible study, and wrapping up the book of Malachi, and then there's this page right here, the New, New Testament, and if you flip that page over, you're gonna be in the book of, Matthew, all right, we got some Bible people. Um, that's the, the gospel of Matthew, and it starts with so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so. But when I got to this page, I froze for just a second, and I thought about what those experts said, about what the pilot said right before the plane goes off the radar. Is so important. You need to lean into that. Now, the couple things to keep in mind before we get there. This page right here, the New Testament, we flip it and keep on going, it represents 400 years of silence. After the book of Malachi, God drops the mic and walks off the stage for 400 years. That would be like the last time we heard anything from God was 1623. So I started looking at this page going, This is a page, but this thing represents 400 years of no prophets showing up, no books of the Bible being written. So then I started thinking, well, what did God say right before that proverbial plane went off the radar? Because that would be pretty important, wouldn't it? Hey, I'm not gonna get to talk to you for 400 years and this is what I need to say. So I started looking at the book of Malachi and there's some cool stuff in the book of Malachi. But I narrowed in on the last chapter and then I narrowed in on the last verse, and this last these last two verses, I'm sorry, the last two verses contain one thing that I think changes everything. And we're gonna talk about it. You ready? Okay, not too. Right, we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. Malachi 4:5 says, Look, look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah. Before now, let's just stop right there. Elijah, we meet him in the old testament. First Kings chapter 17, 18, he shows up and one of the things Elijah is known for, uh, besides his miracles, he did some cool miracles. He called fire down from heaven. He prayed rain down from heaven. Um, the king sent some people to arrest him one time and he called fire down on them. So uh, wouldn't you like that skill every once in a while? Elijah was known though, as preaching the word of God. He boldly and unashamedly declared the word of God everywhere he went. And he not only preached God's word to God's people, he preached God's word to Gentiles and he preached God's word, get this, to King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. In other words, he preached God's word to the political people in power. He did not try to separate politics and religion, in fact, he would step into King Ahab and Jezebel and say, you guys are all messed up and you're doing it wrong, and he was doing so because he was compelled to do so by God's word. Now, some people wanna pause right there and say, this is actually, foreshadowing of John the Baptist, that the prophet Elijah was a foreshadowing of John the Baptist. And I would say, you're exactly right. John the Baptist was known as somebody that preached the word of God. And he preached it boldly, and he preached it unapologetically, and he preached it not just in the temple, but he preached in deserts, and he preached to people that ordinarily religious people wouldn't hang out with, and he preached the gospel to Herod, who was a political ruler at the time, which reminded me as a follower of Jesus that one of the things the people of God have got to get back to is standing on the word of God because people tell us we have to be silent, that the church can't speak up, that you as a Christian cannot say anything about politics. And I'm sorry, but I'm not going to sit there and keep my mouth shut and not say anything while you can say that an eight-year-old can have a hysterectomy and call it science and gender-affirming care. I'm not gonna stand there and say nothing when you're telling four-year-old boys that they can go on puberty blockers because they're experiencing a phase in their life. That's not okay. I will not be silent. And that's not, But hey, listen, as followers of Jesus, we've got to take a stand on what God's word says. Now, we don't need to be mean, but we do need to take a stand. And it's okay to say, thus saith the Lord. Now, some people push back and they say, that's where I got a problem. The Bible is so outdated. It's archaic. I mean, th- those ideas don't work anymore. And I'm like, ah, I think the Bible's timeless. I think these ideas still work. Let- let's just go over a couple, just, just a couple, okay? Just a couple ideas. Let's, let's go back to the top 10, the first top 10 list in the Bible, the, the 10, 10 commandments. Like, th- like this one You must not steal. Now let will ask you a question. Don't you hope your neighbors believe that tonight? Don't you hope everybody in your neighborhood? Because if they don't, let's say they just decided, you know what, we think it's okay to steal and we like your TV. And so while you're at church tonight, they just go and they take your car, they take your TV, they take your dog, they take your cat, that'd be a blessing. They take, they take all this stuff. Here's what I know about this right here. Here's what I know about this right here. Even if you're not a Christian, you're not a Bible person, if if you own a business, you want to hire people that believe that. Am I right? Yeah. How about this one? You must not murder. Don't don't you don't you hope that the next person you cut off in traffic <laughs> believes that? Don't you hope that I don't know hypothetically um God, let's just say your name is Paul and um, Rollins, and, um, <laughs> and you bought your wife a dog when she said, don't buy a dog, and you did it anyway, and you brought it home. Do you think that Paul hopes that Jennifer <laughs> believes this? <laughs> hypothetically, hypothetically, they're sitting right here. I don't, did that happen? I'm just being prophetic right now. I don't, I don't know, I'm just calling Paul out. I didn't do it last week because it was too soon, but I felt like I needed to do it this week. Y'all pray for Paul and the dog. How about, uh, how about you must not lie? I I like that one, because I want people to tell me the truth, right? Hey, how about this? How do I look in this? You, you, You want to hear the truth. Like today, I was back in the first timers area and Lauren came up to me and she said, Hey, listen, you got something on the back of your shirt. And it, look, it looks right. And, I look, and it looked like a bird had pooped on the back of my shirt. <laughs> Praise God that she Oh, you look great. No, and she was like, No, nah, you got something on the back of your shirt. You need to get rid of that. You need, to, you need to take care of that. And here's what I know about people that think the Bible's outdated you want to hang out with these people. You want your kids to marry people that believe that right there. You want your grandkids to grow up and believe that right there, those outdated, archaic ideas. See, the Word of God isn't archaic. It's timeless. It works in any generation. So, so if you go back to this text, he said, I'm sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. Now, that one perplexed me for a minute because This is the way I was looking at it. If something is great, it can't be dreadful. And if something is dreadful, it can't be great. I was a little confused. And then God gave me clarity with an illustration that I did not like. And I told him that. I was like, I don't like that illustration. And he told me that my opinion didn't matter. So I'm gonna show you something that is great and dreadful. I hate that I'm doing this. This is how you know it's the Lord. For some people, this is great. Identify yourself. How many people, this is great? Okay. For some people, this is dreadful. How many, identify yourself, this is dreadful. Yeah, yeah, a lot of Christians here tonight. That's great. See, see, this, this part was great. This was, was dreadful. And it all boils down to it was, it's either great or dreadful based on which team you're pulling for, based which team you're on. So is the next coming of Jesus. For some people, it's gonna be great. For others, it'll be dreadful. It all depends on which team we're on. Now, I could do the invitation right there, but it's, it's, it led into... I wanted to talk about the first time Jesus came because the first time Jesus came, it was great for some and dreadful for others. Some people thought he was great and other people thought he was dreadful. And people have asked, well, who thought he was great? I mean, who could think Jesus was dreadful? I'll show you and I'll show you with one of my favorite passages of the scripture um, and it's in the gospel of Luke Chapter 15, now I know every time I'm preaching on something, I say it's my favorite, and it is. I mean it with all my heart. But I really do love Luke 15, the whole parable, because it's the only time in the Gospels that Jesus ever told three stories in a row that had to do with the same subject. The parable of the lost uh, sheep, lost coin, and the lost son. In other words, lost people really do matter to God. But the way that passage starts out, it's, These are the verses that I use to describe Second Chance Church. They're like, what's your church like? Do you have a biblical description? I'm like, yeah, I do. Luke 15, chapter 1 says tax collectors and other notorious sinners. Not Not just any sinner. These are notorious. Now, this morning I had a problem because there was a... I was like, who sang that song, Notorious? It was back in the 80s, and Dave Poland was here and reminded me that it was Duran Duran. Um, but then the, the newer generation didn't know who Duran was. They were like, Biggie, um, saying, and I was like, yeah, okay, I, I just know that if you're a notorious sinner, that means when people walk in, it's like, oh, that guy used to do this, and that girl used to do that, and that guy, and I love this, tax collectors were worse than sinners. We don't have an equivalent in our society. Like, like if you were a notorious sinner, this is what you could say, at least I'm not a tax collector. So tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. Don't you love that? People that weren't welcome in the temple were welcome with Jesus. People that were not allowed to be religious loved Jesus, and Jesus loved them. And not everybody was happy about it, because see, for these people, it was great, but for for these people, it was dreadful, because watch this. This made the Pharisees and teachers of the law complain, because it's always these people that complain, that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus coming for the outcast and the, and the, the blonde, the leper, the lame, the prostitute, it was great. Because here's what was awesome about Jesus. He hung out with these people and he loved them and he never affirmed their behavior, but he established a relationship with them first and after the relationship, they changed. Pharisees say, religion, then relationship. And Jesus says, no, let's get to know each other and as you get to know me, I'll change you into who you need to be in my time. That's what I love about Jesus. So the next time he comes, it's going to be great for some and it'll be dreadful for others, right? But then, but then we get to verse six. And verse six had me shook for a minute because he said his preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. That's intense, isn't it? Now, typically, this verse, this is, what, this is what I call a clobber passage. We use it to clobber men. Men, if you don't love your kids, God's gonna curse you. And I'm like, uh, oh, I think there's something. I just kept looking at the, this verse. I, just, I think there's something more going on here. Cause I, Listen, I'm a dad. I'm gonna go ahead and tell you. It's one of the most rewarding and challenging things that I've ever had the privilege of doing, and and if you're a dad, it's both rewarding and challenging, sometimes within 30 seconds of each other. I mean, it just happens, But, but when that baby is born and you're in that delivery room as a dad and you see that little boy or you see that little girl for the first time, it just, it's not fair, is it, what it does to your heart, and as a father, now that my, my daughter's a, she's 16 now, as a father, I'm, I can understand my dad a little bit more. I, in fact, the older I get, the smarter my father was. It, it's, it's amazing. Now, my dad and I, we had, a, we had kind of a strained relationship at times. But the best year of our relationship was probably, um, probably his last year. Now, for those that don't know, my dad... Had dementia that led into Alzheimer's, and, and the last like three or four months he went downhill quickly. But I would go and have some conversations with him, and he told me some some fascinating stories. There's some I didn't. I listen. I'm I'm gonna do a sermon one day called "My Daddy Said." It, it's you'll understand why I turned out like this. But I went to see him one day because I was having this conversation, and I was doing. Y'all remember when 23andMe was that thing where you went you wanted to research and see where you came from. Um, and I was kind of into the Ancestry.com thing because I wanted to see my daddy's side. Uh, where they I, My mama's side, I didn't really want to know because that family tree didn't branch a lot, if you know what I'm saying, because they, they all from pickets. Um, but I, I wanted to see where my dad's side came from, and so this is what I discovered. My great-great-grandfather was named John Noble. He was from Ireland, and he came to America on a ship, I don't know why they left, I don't know if it was the potato famine, I don't know what was going on, but his name was John. And my great-grandfather was named John. So John and John came from Ireland to America. Problem was the ship wrecked at sea. And my great-great-grandfather died while trying to come to America, but my great-grandfather survived and made it to Charleston, was raised in an orphanage in Charleston, and then when he got out, he moved to the upstate and actually, he lived in the Pickens area for a while. And, and I was talking to my dad about it. And I was like, Dad, I said, this is what I've discovered. I said, is this, is this how you remembered? Is this what was told to you? Is this true? Now, my dad was having a good day. We were having a good conversation. But you never knew when it was going to go south. We're having this great conversation. He said, he said, son, that's it. I said, so your great-grandfather, my great-great-grandfather, your great-grandfather's name was John Noble, died at sea. Yep, yep, that's what they say. I said, and your, your, your grandfather, John, my great-grandfather, he, he lived in like the Greenville and Easley Pickens area. He goes, yep, that's what they say. I said, well, did you ever get to meet him? Like, did you ever get to talk to him? He said, no, son, I didn't. He died before I was born. And then I asked the question, well, dad, how did he die? And my dad looked at me and said, son, they say a squirrel got him. <laughs> And I was like, um, a, 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 a squirrel? He said, that's what they say. Mm-hmm. So now it explains why I get nervous when squirrels run out. I just got to get nervous. But it conversations like that, it just, it kind of endeared my heart towards him. And we had a, a great relationship, uh, his, especially his last year. But it brought me back to this passage and I was looking at it and I was like, well, is this like us loving our dads and our dads? Because everybody in this room knows the, the listen, I'm just going to throw some stats out here, but I'm, I'm not going to use them to beat you up, man. I'm going to use them to prove a point. Because Jesus, when he was teaching us the Lord's Prayer, he said this, he said, when you pray, you should start out the Lord's Prayer by saying, our Father. I love how he said, Our father, not our parent. It's not gender neutral. It's, it's our father. And the reason I say that is because I had a couple of people reach out to me with pastor, like, all the AI stuff, they're trying to rewrite the Bible and take all the gender stuff out of it. I'm like, Huh? Ah, good luck with that. Um, he said, Our father who art in heaven. Now, watch this. This is crazy. Um, 85% of teenagers with behavioral disorders do not have a father and 70% of adolescents in drug and alcohol treatment centers have no father and 90% of homeless and runaway children have no father and children without a father are 900 more times more likely than to drop out of school and finally over 90% of people in prison have no relationship with their father now i'm not using these to beat men up i'm just saying can you see a spiritual attack on the role of a father, yes or no? Here, here's why. Because the enemy knows that typically whatever we think about our earthly father, if we're not careful, we'll project that image on our heavenly father as well. So if our earthly father is absent, we think God's absent. If our earthly father's abusive, we think God is mean. If our earthly father is apathetic, we think God doesn't care. And so Jesus is trying to tell us, listen, it's about the heart of the father for the children and the heart of the children for the father. And as we go back to this verse, I was looking at it and I was like, you know what? This verse was fulfilled, let me back up. Half of this verse was fulfilled by God through Jesus. Because if you wanna know, if God has a heart for you, all you've gotta do is look at this man named Jesus. Jesus is proof that God has a heart for us. He, he came, he was, the fact that he left heaven and came here and walked among us for 33 years, had a ministry when he started at the age of 30, went to the age of 33 and was crucified and died on a cross. And when he when he died on the cross, he paid listen, he paid for our sins. We will never suffer the wrath of God if we have Christ in us because Jesus paid the price for our sins, but it doesn't end there. Because they put him in the tomb and 3 days later he rose, which not only did like him dying on the cross saved us, From the penalty of sin, him rising from the dead saved us from the power of sin. And one day when he comes back to get us and take us to heaven, we'll be saved from the presence of sin. I I love how it all works out. But the resurrection is proof that God has a heart for us. God loves his children. But the second part of that, that's the one thing that could change everything. That's the... That's the one thing that could change this entire nation and ultimately the world. And it doesn't begin with us being critical of anybody in office or any politician. It begins with, well, I just had this thought. What if we, for the next week, said and meant the words in this prayer? Jesus, help me to have a heart that fully belongs to you. Not God, get, get, the, get the other side, get the Republicans, get the Democrats. I'm sure that God's got some people he's probably gonna get, but if he's making a list, I'm scared. I'm at the top of it, so I'm gonna I'm pray this prayer. Jesus, help me to have a heart that fully belongs to you. How much change could that bring in our lives, as individuals. And as we change as individuals, how much change could that bring in this community, in this state, in the nation, and ultimately the world? You see, when when we turn our hearts towards God and we let him have his ways instead of us merely asking him to bless our ways, his plans are higher and his ways are greater and he will absolutely blow our minds every single time. I was trying to think of a way trying to think of a way to put an exclamation point on this. I stumbled back across this story. I've, I've talked about it before, but it gets me every time. It's about the story about the Hoyt family. Dick is the father and Rick Hoyt. Now, Rick was, Rick was born with cerebral palsy. When he was born, the umbilical cord was wrapped around his neck and cut off the oxygen supply to his brain. And when he was born, they told his parents, um, he's gonna be a vegetable and you need to put him in an institution. And, but his parents wouldn't give up on him. And one of the stories I was reading about this fascinating family says that as, as they were walking around their living room one day, they noticed that his eyes were following them. And they're like, oh, he, he can register this. And ultimately, his, his mom taught him how to read with his hand, taught it. it was it's a, it was a special thing that she came up with, and then they were able to get him to use a computer and get connected to a computer. And ultimately, because the, the father and the mother wouldn't give up on their little boy, he he went to school and he graduated. And this is this is awesome, but it gets better from here. Because in his community, there was a local lacrosse player that got injured in a. Accident and there was a 5K charity run to raise money for this injured lacrosse player. And Rick, you know, he's disabled, he can't, he can't run, but he told his dad, I wanna run in that race, which basically meant, dad, I want you to put me in a car and push me in that race. And, and Rick said he was, he, he's a former Marine and he was out of shape. And he said, but you know what? If that's what he wanted to do, that's what we're gonna do. And, and sure enough, Sure enough, that's what they did. He put his son and the, the, the cart, the, uh, the chariot, I don't know what this thing is that he had made for him and he ran in the race and figured that was it until the end of the race. And i read this in four separate articles where the son told the father, when I run, I don't feel handicapped. And what took place over the next 15 to 20 years was absolutely fascinating. They didn't just do 5K runs, they did 10Ks. And ultimately they went to half marathons and then full marathons, which are brutal. And then half triathlons and then full Ironman triathlons, which is where you swim a little over two miles, you bike 150 miles and then you run a marathon. And in it, the more I read and the more I saw, we see the heart of the father for his child. Because you don't do that just because you got nothing to do. You do that because you have a heart for your child. You you don't swim and pull your boy in a boat in a line just because... That You can look at that picture right there and tell this father has a heart for his child. They Their final statistics were they did... 1,130 endurance events, 72 marathons, 32 of them being the Boston Marathon, 257 triathlons, and six Ironman triathlons, all because the father had a heart for his son. But let me ask you this question. You think the son had a heart for his father? Absolutely. You know why? Because the son knew that none of it would have been possible without the work of the father. And while this is a mind blowing story, what he did for him pales in comparison to what our heavenly father has done for us, which is the essence of Christianity is not what we do for God, it's what God has done for us. His heart is for us and what would happen if we understood that we're the kid in the chair. And the only reason we've gotten as far as we have is because we have a father who loves us more than we could imagine. So Jesus, as we take these next few moments together and focus on the fact that you love us more than we could ever imagine, I pray in this room tonight and for our friends watching online that you would just absolutely move our hearts and jesus we would know that you love us not just because of the cross but because of the empty tomb because you are alive thank you jesus that, that t- tonight we can know that our redeemer lives in jesus name i pray i tell you the reason that's moved me all day I'm the kid in the chair and so are you. I'll say it again, what our heavenly father has done for us pales in comparison. What would happen tonight if we just turned our hearts toward him? Would you stand with me for prayer? Jesus, I just wanna say thank you tonight. God, for all that you've done for us, the things that we're not even aware of. And tonight, Jesus, I wanna pray that you would just move in this room and move online. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe you just need to, right where you stand, just pray that prayer, Jesus, help me to have a heart that's fully yours. Right where you stand, just in your heart, you just pray it, Jesus, help me to have a heart that's full of yours. Now, it's, it's gonna change some stuff, it, it will, it's changing me. But it'll be better. And maybe you're here tonight and you never prayed to receive Christ. You've never asked Jesus to come into your life. And you watch that video and you're like, wow, that father loved his son. Well, your heavenly father loved you so much. He did way more than that for all of us. He sent Jesus, he died on the cross to pay for our sins and rose from the grave so we can have abundant life. And if you're here tonight and you've never prayed to receive Christ and you know that's what you, you need to do, you need to ask Jesus to come in your life, I wanna invite you tonight, right now, you can ask Jesus into your life right where you stand. And, I'm a, I'm, and you can do it. I'm, a, I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. And if you wanna ask Christ into your life, I'm gonna ask you to pray this prayer with me, listen, out loud. But you don't have to pray it alone because our whole Second Chance family, we're gonna pray this prayer with you so you can know that you're stepping into a relationship with Jesus supported by others. So if you want to pray to receive Christ, you pray this with us in Second Chance Family. Let's pray it with them. Just say, Jesus Christ, I know that I'm a sinner and I need you as my Savior. I believe you died on the cross and rose from the grave to pay for my sins. And right now, Jesus, I confess you as Lord and I surrender my life. Come in and take over. In Jesus' name I pray. With heads bowed and eyes closed all over this room, if you just prayed that prayer and received Christ into your life, I wanna pray with you and I wanna pray for you right now. So if that's you and you just prayed that, prayer to receive Christ, I wanna know who you are. I wanna pray with you and for you. you. Would you do me a favor and just put your hand up in the air and leave it up in the air and keep it up? Amen, so I can see it. Anybody else? Amen. Anybody else? Keep them up, keep them up. Father, I want to thank you for these hands in the air. I want to thank you for the lives that you have changed today. I want to thank you that people literally just crossed over from death to life. And I want to thank you, God, that you loved us so much that you gave your son. I want to thank you, God, for the things that we don't even know to thank you for. You are greater and you are higher than anything we could imagine. May we walk out of here with hearts, God, turned towards you and may you continue to change our lives in your way and in your time we love you Jesus and we declare this in your name everybody that agreed said amen amen are you glad you came to church tonight <laughs> me too I love you guys so much you have a great weekend. we'll see y'all back next Sunday